lot of the things that I've desired to do for a while in the study of the Holy Spirit is, uh, you know, bring some things together to help me better formulate uh, an approach to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. How do we as a church understand that? So a lot of these things we'll just be kind of working through together, looking at the Word. Um, and when you think about looking and tackling a subject on the Holy Spirit, I mean, it's like saying we're going to teach on God. You know, you feel like every Wednesday you're bringing a little thimble from the ocean and, and sampling. I mean, it's an impossible task. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to look at some different aspects. I mean, it's an exhaustible subject. I mean, we just said we're going to study the Father. We're going to study the Son. A- anytime you're studying God, the nature and character of God in any aspect, it's, it's a vast, vast uh, subject. But I want to go. Um, I want to go slow, not just slow to drag out to uh, unnecessarily, but because there's so many moving parts when we get into the Holy Spirit and talk about it. Uh, I want us to make sure that we're uh, we're moving along. We're understanding Scripture. If there's areas where we might need to pause a little bit and take a little more time and study and uh, and look at some things. Some things aren't going to be, um, you know, they're not going to be uh, anything we're going to question per se. But I think as we study and move along, when we uh, approach certain aspects of the Holy Spirit, we'll certainly want to try to glean as much as we can uh, from, from Scripture to gain some understanding. And, uh, you know, if you haven't, if you've been in the church for any length of time or aware of uh, uh, just Christian evangelical life, you know that the topic and subject of the Holy Spirit um, can be divisive, can be controversial. And it's not that it has to do with the person and work of the Spirit. It has to, a lot of times, the division is when you get into talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and those things, and, and those will be things that we want to talk about. But uh, we, some of the things that we'll look at in the weeks ahead is uh, who is the Holy Spirit? Now, that may seem kind of obvious, but, uh, but we want to talk about who is the Holy Spirit? How, what is the Holy Spirit? How is he uh, uh, pictured in the Old Testament? Uh, how is he pictured in the New Testament? want to try to, again, glean enough understanding of that. Uh, what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? What was his purpose um, in creation? What was his purpose in the Old Testament? What was his purpose in the New Testament? And what is his role and purpose today? We want to we talk about those things. Uh, why did Jesus say, and we'll look at this in a minute, why did Jesus say that it was better that he depart and send the Holy Spirit? I mean, what, is that, uh, what does that really mean? Better than you being in flesh and blood person, Jesus? You're saying it's better? What does he mean by that? What is the, uh, and this, this is getting a little further, some things we'll look at, but what is the connection between the kingdom of God and the role and ministry of the Holy Spirit? Again, you may not be cognizant or familiar with the kingdom of God, what that's all about, but uh, what is the connection there? What is the connection between the work that God is, is doing on the earth today, His future uh, work uh, and consummation and the establishment and the rule and reign of his kingdom? And how does the Holy Spirit in the life of believers in the church, how does that relate? How does that connect? And so we want to look at that a little bit at some point. Why is there so much, guys, you just came in, get an outline. 
Get an outline in the back so you can follow along. All right? And uh, sorry, I didn't catch you when you first came in. Uh, what is, why is there so much controversy regarding the, what's referred to as the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Uh, what are the divisions between those that have more of a, uh, an open view of the charismatic gifts and those who do not? Um, are the gifts of the Holy Spirit, are all of them still relevant and available today? Or have some ceased? Or have all of them ceased? And we want to see, you know, what does Scripture say and what, is it, uh, what does it teach? Or at least what, what can we glean from that? Uh, some of the sign gifts, I guess is what I'm referring to. Uh, the gift of miracles, uh, what the Bible talks about, prophecy, uh, tongues. What is all that about? Do they gradually end or is, are they still continued uh, to this day, the work of the Spirit? Was there a, um, was there a uh, purpose in their usage in the New Testament? Was there a specific purpose that was temporary and then they gradually kind of uh, ceased as maybe the, over time the church was established and the, the Bible was uh, put together, brought together? Does that mean that there's no longer any purpose for this, those gifts? of prophecy or whatever, um, we want to talk about that. We want to look at that and see uh, what, what, that, um, what understanding we can have. And depending on your church background, and I know pretty much most everybody here in your background, uh, there's a great diversity here. Some of you have been raised in more of a Pentecostal charismatic environment, uh, whether it be Assemblies of God or a non-denominational denominational church. I had to make sure I said that slowly. Um, and uh, some of you raised more Baptists. Some of you made Lutheran or Methodist. And, and even just studying the Bible the way we do it is kind of new. So there's a lot of diversity even in our group. And uh, so we want to, again, we don't want to be in a rush, but we want to try to uh, line up on line and, and, and compare Scripture with Scripture and look at the various views. Uh, what about the gift of uh, tongues? What's that all about? What about what's our understanding of the phrase the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Is the gifting of tongues a or the sign gift of proving that you have the Holy Spirit? Is that is that valid? We want to look at that. We want to look at not only those who would teach it again, looking at it scripturally uh, and looking at it in balance, but also. Again, we want to look at those who would take a different view of that. Why is that? Is that is maybe those who would say that those type of gifts are no longer valid? Is they are they building conjecture a little bit in, in their view? Um, again, you know, the Bible says to keep in step with the Spirit in Galatians. And so what we want to do is we want to make sure that we don't go, uh, we don't limit anything that the New Testament or the Scriptures teach. We don't want to limit that. But at the same time, we don't want to go farther than what Scripture teaches either. So we want to say, Lord, help us to, to be balanced in all things, but also be open to the truth. Um, if God supernaturally uh, speaks through what is called prophecy, uh, through a believer with a message that they believe is from the Lord, is that authoritative like the Bible? Is that on the, if it, they say, well, it's a word of the Lord, is that saying that it's equal to scriptures uh, in Ephesians? And do we have to start adding pages to the Bible? Or is it something uh, still authoritative, but it's different than, the, than what scripture is? So 
what, is, what again, how does the Bible present this? Um, does God allow some people to experience more of the supernatural gifts than other Christians? Is it possible that there's maybe sometimes, depending on the geographical, cultural, and even the spiritual dynamic of certain regions and countries? Is there certain areas that at times and seasons in God's sovereignty that certain miraculous gifts are more prevalent than other areas? Uh, what is the connection to prayer and, and believing and, and openness to God versus um, not interested? Does God just automatically force people uh, to experience uh, gifts of the Spirit? How does that all fan out? What about when the Bible, and I'm talking about the New Testament, uh, addresses and talks about the role uh, of the prophet? You know, the Bible says in Ephesians about how God has gifted the, uh, uh, gifted the church with apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers... Are any are are there? Is there a current role? Are there uh, maybe not twelve apostles? There's not on that level. I think you know we certainly would recognize that. But are there still people exercising the gift of of an apostle? They're not apostle capital A, meaning like Paul or Peter or whoever, but they exercise a apostolic gift. Is that valid? What about the role of a prophet. You know, the New Testament speaks about, uh, I'm trying to remember which church, but several churches reference about having prophets within the church. Uh, were they doing the same thing as Elijah and Moses and the Old Testament prophets, or is there something, uh, is there something different there? Is God using gifts in a certain way that are different, that aren't contradictory to the Bible? Again, we just want to we kind of want to be like good investigators, you know, where we're searching out truth and we want to submit and say, Lord, uh, help us to follow wherever the truth leads us. Help me to be open to learning and growing. And if maybe the scriptures doesn't necessarily support maybe something I was always taught, you know, have you ever heard that? You probably said that. Well, I was always taught. Well, let me tell you something. Not everything I was always taught was correct or accurate or maybe 100%. Maybe part of it was, and what we tend to do is we tend to throw the baby out with the bathwater, and so we want to look at that. Um, what is the relationship uh, of the Holy Spirit in today's church? What about... How does the Holy Spirit and the work of the Spirit today, uh, what is the connection and role in spiritual warfare in uh, demons and deliverance? Is that just something kooky and uh, out there for all the weirdos? Or is that something that is a part of New Testament ministry? What is the connection between the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, or is there any connection? Uh, we'll look at that at some point. Um, what about the movements identified as either Pentecostal or charismatic versus those who would certainly not in any way identify with those groups or not even uh, <laughs> sit on the same bus with any of them? You know, I mean, is those extremes, um, are, are, they, is, are they right? Are people who would look at those as people that are heretics, are they right? Um, we want to look at those a little bit. What did they get right? What did they get wrong? What maybe uh, could there be some, some areas of refinement in uh, Scripture that um, might we should consider? 
uh, how even as a church, again, these are just things that, uh, that we'll hope to cover in this study that will well take us into 2026, as you can see. That's a joke, all right? Laugh, all right? You've had, just because you had a cinnamon roll, don't get sleepy on me, okay? I'll make you stand up while I teach, all right? You know, some churches don't have chairs in other countries. They stand for the whole time, so uh, don't, you know, I won't get any ideas. But, but how can we, you know, we pray this. We, have a, we meet for prayer every, every Sunday morning in a group of men uh, in the conference room, and I pray it and others pray it. We say, Lord... Um, moved by your spirit today. What do we mean by that? I mean, what do we mean by that? Does that mean somebody running around waving a flag, that that's moving by the spirit? Does that mean, what does that mean? I mean, does that mean we throw out an order of the worship service, and uh, I've been in churches where they equated the openness and move of the Holy Spirit that really was more chaos than any move of the Holy Spirit. But unless there was a lot of noise and activity and upheaval, they equated that with the move of the Holy Spirit. Again, I'm not judging one way or the other. I'm just saying, what do we mean by that? What does that look like for Grace Church? I'm not here to define it for Victory or Kathleen Baptist or some other church. How can we, and really that's what it comes down to, how can I... When we gather together with other believers as the church, whether it's a small group or a corporate group on Sunday morning or even Wednesday, what does it mean to be uh, walking in the Spirit, to be open to the Holy Spirit, to allowing the Holy Spirit to work in my life? Is that something weird? Does that mean I'm going to start frothing at the mouth and and barking like a dog or something crazy? Uh, You know, we have all these characters And frankly, depending on your background and experience, some people, even when you begin to talk about some of the things I'm talking about, makes people nervous. Now, let me just just squash any thought that maybe one or two of you may have in thinking that I've got some agenda that I'm doing here. The only agenda I have is to teach the Bible on all in some of these areas and for us to discern what does the Bible have to teach and what is it you know sometimes have you found this to be true that sometimes you can look legitimately at various passages of scripture and you can look at other passages of scripture and they seem to contradict each other how do we balance those things So we will do our best, and I'm trusting that you'll be a part of this as we walk through some areas. Uh, And at the end of whenever we conclude this, I I don't think we'll say, got all that down now. Boy, that Holy Spirit got that, got the notebook, got all Pastor Tim's handouts. No, I don't know anymore. I don't need to know anymore. I got it all down. No, it should just barely scratch the surface and say, you know, Lord, and really, the Holy Spirit, how many of you know, the Holy Spirit is a change agent? You know what I mean by that? The Holy Spirit is not passive. The Holy Spirit has a job, has a task, sovereignly given under the rubric of the Godhead, and he is to point people to Jesus. He is to dwell in believers, to Make us more like Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is a change agent. 
And, and this really is true with any study, whether it's any aspect of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, any study of God specifically, is that if you walk away from any uh, tr- biblical study of the nature and character of God, be it the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and somehow at some point it doesn't affect and change you, you're just getting a lot of head knowledge and theology, then somehow there's a, there's a big disconnect. Because we're not here just to absorb knowledge like sponges. We're here to say, Lord, change me. Make me like you. And he's given us the Holy Spirit to help us to do that. So uh, hopefully as we move along, hopefully with me as we, as we study this, we'll be saying, Lord, teach me and make me open to your Spirit working in my life, to just be led wherever the truth and wherever Scripture leads us. And you know what? It'll be okay, because just like there's areas in the church today that there's not 100% agreement on everything, we, we, we probably aren't going to agree on everything. And that's okay. That's okay. And uh, so we just, again, want to make sure we're in agreement with Scripture. Now, in the uh, top of your, all that is not in your outline. So if you were looking for where I'm at, good luck. That was not in your outline. But look in the front part of your outline on the front page. uh, And I have a quote here from Andrew Murray. Does anybody know who Andrew Murray is? He lived at the uh, turn of the century or in the 19th century, written a lot of books, a lot of really, uh, I wouldn't say devotional books, but books that have a very... Uh, deep, uh, somebody who's walked with the Lord. His commentary on the book of Hebrews is just a classic. Um, Andrew Murray, his books on prayer, surrender, a lot of things. But I, th- I like this quote, and I thought it was worth reading here at the beginning. It's, it's on the screen, but it's also uh, in your outline. And he says this, uh, said that the Holy Spirit, um, before I read the quote, just uh, uh, something I had in my notes, that the Holy Spirit is one with the Father and the Son, and that the Holy Spirit um, brings the full and perfect revelation of God's glory. And so then he says this in his quote, all that the Old Covenant, that's, we, could, we might say the Old Testament, but under the Old Covenant, the Old Covenant of the law, all that in the Old Covenant, uh, all that in the Old Covenant had been promised by God all that had been manifested and brought nigh, old language there, to us of divine grace in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is now to make our very own. To make our very own. The Holy Spirit is to take all those, all those promises, all those truths, and apply them and make them our very own. Through Him, through the Holy Spirit, all the promises of God are fulfilled, all grace and salvation in Christ become a personal possession and experience. You know, some people get nervous with the word experience. Well, you know, that's just all experience. Well, I don't know about you, but salvation is about as experiential as you can get. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. Does that just mean it's some kind of intellectual, mental exercise? I mean, uh, if God has truly saved you, that's an experience that God has changed your life. And so sometimes you'll hear people say that. Now, we aren't chasing after and having experiences uh, for experience's sake, but when God begins to affect and change your life in the Holy Spirit, because that's how he does it, uh, you should be experiencing 
more of the love of God, experiencing more of the grace of God, of the goodness of God, of the strength of God, walking through valleys of fire and testings. Uh, some scriptures that um, related to this, and this is from the Amplified Ephesians 1.3. The Amplified, you know, tends to amplify, like amplifiers, uh, certain Greek words and Hebrew words, and so that's why you see some phrases in brackets to try to bring out uh, maybe the meaning, try to help non-Greek or Hebrew speaker uh, readers to understand how the text um, uh, speaks fuller to something. And so Ephesians 1.3, may blessing, praise, laudation, and eulogy be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual, parentheses, given by the Holy Spirit, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. So, again, that's written to the believer, that God has given to the believer every spiritual blessing. How is that delivered? It's given to us through the Holy Spirit, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. Uh, 1 Peter 1.3 from the message, which is a paraphrase, and uh, says, everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us by getting to know personally and intimately the one who invited us to God, and in brackets, the Holy Spirit, the best invitation we ever received. See, the Holy Spirit is the one that connects our lives in relationship to God. And that's why Jesus said, it's better that I go away because unless I go away, the Holy Spirit can't be sent. And the Holy Spirit in you is, is, is the Spirit of Christ. And the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Christ that is inside of you is going to be better than me around you. I mean, when Jesus was here on the earth, 33 and a half years, he could only be at one place at one time. If he was with Peter... Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration, that's where he was. He wasn't down with the other, what, uh, nine, eight, nine? They were down there wondering what they were doing up there so long. But the Holy Spirit can be present in all of God's people. And when we talk about the Holy Spirit, don't, don't, don't create, you know, the Spirit of God can be in me, can be in... Uh, Sue can be in Keith. The Holy Spirit can be in North Korea with believers that are in North Korea, in the Congo, in Guatemala, that it's God's presence filling all of his people. You see, in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, God used the model of the tabernacle to be his dwelling place. But now we are his tabernacle. We are, the Bible says, New Testament says, that we are the temple the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. So when we get together as a church, this is just a, a bunch of little tabernacles gathering in this building. This building is not... This, that's why I don't... I might do it every once in a while by accident, but I intentionally do not call this the sanctuary. Because I'm the sanctuary. This is an auditorium. This keeps the rain off our heads. You with me? But some of you that have been real religious in your background, that's why I was hesitant to ever put a cross up there. Because the last thing I want that cross to do is make you feel religious. It's just a reminder. 
It's just a reminder, it's just a symbol, but it's not intended to give you goosebumps. It's not intended to make you feel closer to God. It's just, a, it's just a symbol of a reminder of the sacrifice of Christ. That's all it is. But we have this religious kind of way that we relate to God. I remember a church that I pastored, and there was a guy there that had a really hard time because um, when we built it, um, I don't even know if they do it now, but we didn't have a cross in there. It wasn't any anti-cross, it wasn't any big issue, I just don't think we got around, it wasn't a big priority, but he just really had a hard time, just, I just struggle in worship because you don't have a cross. Well, the more he said that, the more I wanted not to have one, because I was trying to get him to understand, you don't need that, okay? So we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, we're not in a sanctuary, he's not in a sanctuary, we are the habitation of the Holy Spirit. Dwelling in us, all right? First uh, Corinthians 2.9. The Phillips, it's not around much anymore, but it was one of the first paraphrases, but I really en- I enjoy reading it every once in a while. And First uh, Corinthians 2.9-10 says, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has, how? Through the Spirit, Let us share his secret, for nothing is hidden from the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, not even the deep wisdom of God. So you want to know the deep things of God? Well, he's provided the the means by which we can intimately know God intimately in a relationship, and that's the blessing of the Holy Spirit. You know, and thankfully I'm not the devil, but if I was the devil and uh, I, I wanted to... Uh, strategically hinder the church, and I think in C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters, some of this comes out, uh, if you're familiar with that, is I would do all that I could to make sure the church uh, doesn't get too dependent or knowledgeable about the, the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit, when Jesus... Let me... Uh, well, I don't want to get ahead but here. Well, I will. Um, when the Holy Spirit, we'll look at it in a minute, told the disciples, remember he had ended the, the Gospels in, go into all the world, preach the Gospel. That's said there also in chapter 1 of the book of Acts. And then he says, remember what they were preoccupied with? They weren't preoccupied with, Jesus, uh, hurry and go back so your Holy Spirit can come and dwell in us. They weren't real keen on that whole idea. Remember when he even told them back in John 14 and 15, he started, I mean, they were jumping up and down like, oh, wow, that's a great idea, leave, and then you can come back and dwell us. They weren't real crazy about that. I don't think they understood it sometimes any more than we understand it. They're like, wait, wait a minute, you're saying it's better that you, we have you physically, we can touch you, we can feel your breath, we can touch your clothes, I mean, you're here, you're saying that's, that. You leaving and the Holy Spirit, which that's not real tangible, you're saying that's better? I don't think they were real excited with that. And I would even venture to say that if I asked uh, many Christians, would you rather have Jesus, would you, if you were those disciples, would you rather kept Jesus here and, and not, you wouldn't have been as excited about this giving us the Holy Spirit of Jesus dwelling in us? And more than likely say, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd rather have Jesus with me than in me. 
because I can touch it. I, I can touch him. I can handle him. But Jesus, when he gave the great commission to the disciples, told them to go to Jerusalem and get in the upper room and wait. Remember Acts 1? It says, wait, and when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be filled with what? Well, the Spirit, and the Spirit will give you power. Power. In other words, guys, you can't do what I just told you by yourself. But see, that sometimes gets lost in church life and and Christendom, you know? Because we become very self-sufficient. And as I said, one of the subtle strategies I believe that Satan plays on the church is for us to get really impressed with our strategies, our gimmicks, our ways of doing ministry, of fulfilling the Great Commission, of doing the works of Jesus, and we are really, really professional and good and got notebooks on notebooks and strategies and PowerPoints, and we've got staffs, and we can really do this thing, but... We've just kind of like, uh, we got it where we really don't need the Holy Spirit. We got this, we got this, Lord. But the Holy Spirit is, is given, and that's what he was trying to teach those disciples. The Holy Spirit teaches you to be dependent upon him. Remember what Jesus said in, uh, was it John 14? Without me, you can do what? Nada, nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. I don't think we really believe that sometimes. Because of so little that we truly, and I'm talking about us personally, depend on the work of the Holy Spirit. I've been in churches, and I'm not saying the Holy Spirit wasn't there, I'm not saying that, but they were really impressed with what they were doing, and I didn't get a sense they were impressed with, with, what, with what Jesus was doing. And we can do that. We can feel like we're doing well, even in our own personal lives. It was the last time that you... Spent time seeking God. We talk about, was it first Chron- Second Chronicles 7.14? Or is it First Chronicles? Y'all don't know. Um, Any more than I do. <laughs> Humble themselves, seek, pray, and seek my face. Remember what it said? Not just pray. No, Lord, I lay me down to sleep. I pray my soul. You know, blah, blah, blah. we can do that mindless. Lord's Prayer, just mindless. Lord's Prayer was never meant to be a mantra. It was a pattern of how to pray. Instead of pray and seek my face. Face is intimacy. Seek somebody's face. That's why a lot of times people, you've got ought against and issues, they, they don't want to look at you. They don't want to look at you. They don't want to see you. They don't look you in the eye. Why? Because that's, that's too intimate. God wants us to Pray, seek His face, to be dependent upon Him. And so, let me go back to one of the things that the Holy Spirit does by people who live in the Spirit. Remember in Acts 4.13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, untrained men. That just means they weren't professionally educated men. doesn't mean they were stupid. It says they marveled. These are the religious elites. And they, had realized, they realized they had been with Jesus. You see, the Holy Spirit in the believer's life can be, can be somewhat evidence to unbelievers, outsiders, that you are a follower of Jesus. Because the 
evidences, the giftings, the graces of Jesus are brought forth by the work of the Holy Spirit living in you and dwelling in you. They saw they've been with Jesus. How does that happen? It happens with the Holy Spirit working inside of us. First Paul, these are just introductory, uh, some th- thoughts. First Corinthians 2, 4 and 5. Remember Paul said, talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit uh, in the, Paul's word here. He says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, that's the NIV, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's what? Power. Listen, if there was anybody that had wise and persuasive words, it was the Apostle Paul. Very educated. But he said, I'm not leaning upon my rhetorical skills as a speaker. He said, but I'm dependent on the demonstration of the Spirit's power through me. Verse 5 He says, so that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. You know, that's always a a tension uh, for people who preach and teach, is that balance between dependency on the Spirit of God working and, and being used in your teaching versus too dependent upon what you've done and saying, Lord, this is your word. You lead us, you guide us. 1 Corinthians 4.20, just talking about the Holy Spirit, uh, that was verse 5, that your faith may not depend on human wisdom. 1 Corinthians 4.20, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of what? Power. Remember again, go back to Acts chapter 1, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive what? Power. You will receive the divine dunamis. That's the Greek word for power that we get dynamite from. You will receive power and empowerment to do what you cannot in the natural do. You with me? Because, see, they would have thought, okay, go into all the world, how are we going to do that, whatever. But he says, whoa, 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 don't even, don't even go there, guys. Wait. Because what I'm asking you to do to take this message and this gospel into whole, the whole world Especially Jesus knowing what opposition was ahead. You're going to need the person, presence, and power of me in the Spirit dwelling inside of you. And of course in Acts chapter 2, we'll look at that scripture in just a minute. Remember Jesus, and I won't take time to look at these. uh, Jesus, John 14, 16, because we covered these on Sunday morning not too long back in our study of John, um, Jesus promised a helper. Uh, the helper is the word, or another counselor, is how the NIV uses the word. It doesn't use helper. The NIV translates it another counselor. Um, and the Greek word there means another of the same kind. And that's important. It wasn't just some it or force coming. When he says another counselor, or um, a uh, helper, uh, another helper, that word another, in the Greek, it means another of the same kind. So if I miss my taxi, and they're sending me another one, I'm not expecting a mule. I'm expecting another car that says taxi. Another of the same kind. Different, but it's the same kind. So that's important there because, again, it's a little hint about the deity of the Holy Spirit. 
Not someone different, but someone different of the same kind of the deity of, of uh, the nature of God. John 16, 7. Remember he said, that's the scripture says, to your advantage, that if I don't go away, the helper, the New King James refers to the Holy Spirit, if I, uh, he will not come, but if I depart, I will send him to you. Acts 1, 4 through 5, they were assembled together. He commanded them to wait, wait for the promise of the Father. He said in verse 4 and 5, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized, immersed with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The day of Pentecost, penta uh, means 50, uh, and that was 50 days from Passover. So that's the solid Jewish feast of Pentecost, where they were in the upper room in Acts chapter 1 and 2 when the Holy Spirit descended. And of course, in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost, that's the Jewish feast, had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. You remember in John 3, Jesus referred to the work of the Spirit as like the wind? Genesis 1, the Ruach of God, that's Hebrew for a spirit which speaks of breath. When you say Ruach, you, you can't help but get breath out of your mouth. Because that's a picture of the Holy Spirit, is, is the, the breath, the wind of God. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting then there appeared to them divided tongues, that means diverse languages. And again, that's something we'll want to explore because the word there for tongues is different than what we find in 1 Corinthians. The word for tongues there is the word, we get the word dialects. Remember, they said we hear people speaking in our own language. That was the miracle of languages, but that's different than the Greek word for tongues and that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians, the glossolalia. That's different. It's a different, different word there. So they had diverse languages as a fire, and one sat upon each of them, pictured like a fire. And it says in verse 4, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other dialects, tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Remember Peter said, These men are not drunk, as all of you are saying. Raised his voice, men of Jerusalem, men of Judea, let it be known to you and heed my words, for these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. That would have been nine o'clock. Now, I don't know about you, I've known some drunks that nine o'clock in the morning didn't, didn't ter deter them. Just saying. But these are not drunk. But listen to what he says. But this, this, what you're witnessing here, they're all drunk. They're acting crazy. He said, this is what was spoken of by the Old Testament prophet Joel, Joel chapter 2. He spoke of this event. This is the fulfillment. Don't miss this. Peter connected the Word of God with the move of the Spirit of God. They didn't contradict. He said, this is scripturally based from Joel chapter 2. Where he says, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. You see, in the Old Testament, the work of the Holy Spirit was 
specific and selective. The Holy Spirit came upon individuals for specific jobs and tasks given by God. Here, prophesied by Joel, one day the Holy Spirit now wasn't going to be just specific and selective. It was going to be what? Poured upon all flesh. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit, my Holy Spirit, on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, speak forth the word. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Randy Clark, writer that I like a lot of things he writes, he says, The Holy Spirit does not exclusively belong to ivory tower theologians. He is not a mere doctrine to be studied, but a divine person to be experienced and to be known. Look with me in your outline, and I'm going to go through these so we can finish these seven reasons of why we should study the Holy Spirit. These are in your outline there. You can follow along. You don't have to fill out anything. Number one, one reason to study the Holy Spirit is to know the Spirit is to know God. John 17, 3, and this is eternal life that you may, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The work of the Holy Spirit's job is to provide an intimacy and a relational uh, connection for you to know God, for you to have a relation with God. He's not just somebody, you know, Islam, they have no interpersonal relationship with God. It's just Allah's will. It's, a, it's just a, Allah is just a remote entity, a deity, and there's no intimate personal relationship. Holy Spirit's been given to bring a relationship. I don't know if I have this uh, quote in your, uh, your handout. And, yeah, I do, by Millard Erickson. He's a Baptist theologian, I, uh, a lot of good things. The Holy Spirit is, that, is the point at which the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the point at which the Trinity, the Godhead, becomes personal to the believer. You see, when you're born again saved, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about the difference between the filling and later on the indwelling or baptism work of the Spirit. And sometimes our wording and semantics get a little confusing there. But let me just say this. The filling that the New Testament talks about, it speaks of being continually filled. We have put great emphasis upon a one-time sense, but the Bible speaks about continue to be filled. Continue to walk in the Spirit. You cannot become born again without the Holy Spirit. That's why maybe some traditions like I was brought up in, you were saved, and now we need to pray for, the Holy, for you to receive the Holy Spirit. First of all, I couldn't be saved without the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, But I understood what they were getting at was that feeling and that empowerment that was an emphasis. And so how, when we delve into this, how do we take the kernel of the truth that was being sought there and maybe make sure our wording is a little more consistent with Scripture? Because I believe that there should be a continual feeling and a continual hunger 
for the Holy Spirit. I hope I'm not the same person spiritually than I was a year ago. I hope I'm more hungry and desirous for God and for Him to be working the graces in my life. And I hope you do too. Instead of just pointing back to something that happened at a revival somewhere. Wayne Grudem says the work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest or make known the active presence of God in the world and especially in the church. So we need to know the Holy Spirit is to know God. Secondly, to know the Spirit is to know our salvation. We cannot discover Christ without the drawing of the Holy Spirit, without the work of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, 9-11, I read that earlier about how it's the Holy Spirit that we know the deep things of God, that we understand the work of God, salvation. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 um, says that we can't even call Jesus Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, obviously, an atheist could say Jesus is Lord. I'm not, that isn't what it's saying. But what it's saying is there cannot be a genuine, true conversion, confession of the Lordship of Jesus separated from the work of the Holy Spirit that must go first. It isn't saying, well, I know, I can say Jesus is Lord and not believe in It's not saying that you can't say the words. It's saying there cannot be the confession that's real apart from the priority or the beginning work of the Holy Spirit that birthed and regenerated you, that enabled you to see your sin and a need for a Savior. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. So nobody can be truly confessional that Jesus is Lord just apart or just solely dependent upon their intellectual fact-finding knowledge. It's a work of the Spirit that brings genuine conversion. That's why in 1 John it says that those who are uh, of the Spirit, the Spirit bears witness that you're born again. Not your baptismal card. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that bears witness that I belong to Him and that He belongs to me. Uh, thirdly, to know the Spirit is to understand sanctification. Sanctification means to separate. It's the process of spiritual growth in holiness, being uh, applying the gospel as a believer to be growing in the things of God. 2 Thessalonians 2.13, I've got it in the New King James and also in the New Living Translation. New King James says, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through, the, through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Look at the same verse in the New Living Translation. As for us, we can't help but thank God for you, dear brothers and sisters loved by the Lord. We are always thankful that God chose you to be among the first to experience salvation, a salvation that came through the Spirit who makes you holy and through your belief in the truth. You see, you're not the process of being made or transformation, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's not going back like the Galatians wanted to do, go back and start keeping the law. Remember Paul said, there's no law, first of all, that could have even saved you, let alone help you walk with God. Why are you obeying? He says, why are you abandoning the gospel? He says in Galatians chapter 1 and chasing after 
a false gospel. It's 1 Peter 1-2 in the New Living Translation. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and His Spirit has made you holy. So, uh, see the difference in spirit transformation is evidenced by what Paul would later write in Galatians 5 about the fruit of the Spirit. Remember before the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those things? Remember before that, he gave the, you could almost say, the rotten fruit of the law. Anger, all all those negative things. But he said the fruit of the Spirit, there is no such law. In other words, you can't manufacture it. You can have your to-do list that make you feel religious, but when the day is done, that isn't how fruit of the Spirit, how is literal fruit produced? It's got to be in healthy soil. It's got to be nurtured. It's got to be grown. It takes time. And genuine fruit, I'm talking about in the natural now, you can tell or judge the quality and the sweetness of the fruit tells you the quality of the root system. Rotten tree, rotten limbs, rotten roots. Sweet fruit. Tasteful, pleasurable. Isn't that the way Christians should be? To be like Jesus? To be the sweetness of Jesus? Well, how do you get that? It's the work. What is the fruit of the Spirit? It's the evidences of the Spirit in a person's life. I've known and grew up with people who made great claim about being filled with the Spirit and were just as mean as a snake. That's why it's so disconnect between a person who claims to be a Christian, a genuine biblical Christian, is a person who's saying, I am filled with the Holy Spirit Christian. And for them to have... uh, sour and sweet water coming out of the same well. Something's wrong. That's why Paul would say to the Corinthians that were suing each other and taking each other into court, this should not be. That's a disconnect. First, I mean, the church at Corinth were charismatics on steroids. Paul had to rein them in. He didn't say, stop that nonsense. He just had to bring some order. Big difference. But yet, much of their life was carnal. What was the problem? A lot, a lot of problems there. I mean, you know, people that even are born again and spirit-filled, sometimes we can act carnal. I know nobody in this room except me. Number four, to know the spirit is to balance, to be balanced, is to balance the Christian life. Galatians 5.25 from the CSB, Christian Standard Bible. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. You see, we're churches that put great emphasis upon the working of the Holy Spirit. And really, every Jesus church should have an emphasis on not just the Spirit, but the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if it's a truly Spirit-filled church, it's going to be a Jesus church because the Holy Spirit does what? What's his job? Is to magnify Jesus. It's not separating and chopping it all up. But in order for us to be 
Spirit-led, we need to keep in step with the Spirit. To, keep, to not get ahead of the Spirit. To not lag behind. But the Holy Spirit keeps us balanced. It keeps us in proper working relationship that we balance between the knowledge of doctrine and the experience of the spiritual life. Because my experience in church life, having pastored 40 years is that we oftentimes emphasize one against the other. This church, oh, great doctrine. Teach the Bible. If you want to know know doctrine in the Bible, oh, that's the place to be. But, you know, the worship's kind of dry, and people don't talk to you. They're kind of sour. But boy, man, if you want to be taught the Bible, then you go over this church, Yeah, I don't know. I think the pastor wings it a lot of Sundays. Let me tell you. But they sing like they really have a relationship with Jesus. People there really care about you. They really love you. Now see, what we end up doing is we go, we have these two things. And I'm saying, that's not the Bible. The Bible is both and. It's word and spirit. The most... Spirit-filled people should be the biggest Bible people. And the most prominent and passionate Bible people should be the most spirit-filled, fruity Christians there is. And I don't know what I mean by fruity. In the Galatian sense. To know, number five, to know the Spirit is to worship God rightly. Galatians, or Ephesians 5, don't get drunk with wine which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then he talks about worship. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for God, everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, I've been around worship that was quote-unquote I mean, at least was in an environment that was, you know, high energy and, you know, I don't know what the right wording, but from all the outside, I mean, it had all the bells and whistles. Passion, sound, professional, I mean, high energy worship, and yet, so many times I felt the emptiness of the Spirit. I felt they were more impressed with their abilities than leading and worshiping God. Listen, all this stuff up here, we don't need any of that to worship God. I tell Sherry, I said, you know, you better behave or we'll, we'll get CDs out there. We'll... But I say this, and I've said it many, many times. We, you know, some churches allow people on their worship team, oftentimes who are not only not living for God, but sometimes not even believers. Why? Oh, have you heard him play? I don't want to pick on an instrument because you'll nobody present here. Have you heard them play the bass? I know Don will pick on Don. Have you heard them play the guitar? Picking on Jim, but he's not Jim. Oh, they're so. Oh, well, we'll let him lead in worship, and maybe you know they'll come around. Bad idea. Unbelievers cannot one worship, let alone lead believers in worship. That's a bad idea. Listen, 
we will never be held hostage because we need a drummer. We need a guitarist. We need a keyboardist. We'll shut it all down and do like Church of Christ and just sing a cappella. We don't need any of that to have spirit-led, filled worship. You with me? All right, that was free. And last, uh, number six, I'll just go quickly because we said something earlier about number six, to know the Holy Spirit is to be prepared for spiritual warfare. The Christian life consists of a battle against enemies that we can conquer only by means of the Spirit as our supernatural ally. Aren't you glad to have an ally of the Holy Spirit? Greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. And number seven, to know the Spirit is to know Christ. John 16, 13 through 14, when the Spirit of truth comes, Jesus says, He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. Verse 14, he will, this is Jesus speaking, he will glorify me, he will glorify me, because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. See, the Holy Spirit's not there to draw attention to himself. Holy Spirit is there to glorify Jesus. John Calvin, great theologian of days past, says the Holy Spirit is the bond by which Christ effectually unites us to Himself. So, do we need the Holy Spirit? Yeah, yeah, we do. Can't do it without the Holy Spirit. So, in the weeks ahead, we're going to solve every issue there is concerning the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. No, but there's a lot of things that we want to make sure and see. What does the Bible say? What does it not say? We want to be faithful to Scripture and uh, appreciate y'all's attention and uh, we're out of time so we're going to pray father